have to be at the center of our lives. Would you help us do that more and more? Would you help us even this morning as we look at your word and discern what it is you're doing right now? What it is you want to say to us in the pages of your holy scriptures? Would you be with me now as I speak to share the words you want and not the words that you don't want? Holy Spirit, would you fill me and take control? For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Would you turn to Acts chapter 4, 32? Acts chapter 4, 32. says this all the believers were one in heart and mind no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own but they shared everything they had with great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to any, anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Okay. We have this amazing statement about the early church and it's not the first time this has come up it came up right after pentecost as well where believers just kind of held everything in common and they helped each other and one of the things that i think we first think when we read this is uh is this prescriptive or descriptive right you know is this are we all supposed to do this to to have my stuff and hold it so loosely that i give to anyone in need or or is that is that a command that i've got to do should we start selling our property and you could lay it at my feet and we, we could do this, you know? But, or, or is it descriptive? Is it showing what's happening in the early church as an example for us, as something we need to consider in our own life? We've got to weigh that. So I want to talk this morning about the beauty of giving. The beauty of giving. Because you can't read this passage and not think, this is This is beautiful. Someone's in need. There's a widow in need, and so someone over here sells something that they own and gives to this widow. You know, it's just, that's what was happening in the early church. And it says, there was a great grace on them all so that no one was in need. We read a passage like this, and we're tempted to think that was just really pious first century Christians. That, that's them. They're, they're pretty amazing what they did. But when I read this text, the, the, the statement that jumps out at me is, and the NIV sounds a little different, it's, but it's, a great grace was upon them so that nobody, no one was in need. 
And I read that and I go, so it, it's not the people. It, it, it's not that they were just so holy, so godly that they did this. This is an act of God's grace. Normal people don't act like this. This is not typical. This is grace. So what is grace? Just, just to get that clear for a second. What is grace? It's the unmerited favor of God on humans. That's a very broad statement. I want you to see that as broad. Grace can be hugely broad. When the person that doesn't believe in God at all has a great year for their business and makes a lot of money, God is showing grace on that person, even though they don't even believe. But we can also make grace a little more narrow and say grace, I've heard it said, and I think it's a beautiful definition, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. That on the cross, Jesus purchased saving grace for us to wipe away our sins, to give us the Holy Spirit, a new life, to be able to follow Him. It's all these things God does for the believer. That's His, His grace. So we can go broad and say that He causes it to rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, as Jesus says. That's grace. And we can narrow it down and say, but for His people... Oh my, that is grace. That's saving grace. What's happening here in this first passage is an act of God's beautiful, beautiful grace. That's number one. That's what we see happening. This act of giving is not normal. It's not natural. It's beautiful grace God put on His people to say, Give! And they responded. And they gave. One time I was on the, uh, a lot of times when I take family or friends downtown Chicago, I love taking them on the L, the elevated train, you know, and we, we go around Chicago and, you know, who needs taxis? We're taking the train, you know, and it's really fun and seeing people's reaction to things. Uh, one year I took some family members uh, downtown and um, someone got on the L and he was super disheveled, smelled awful. His pant leg was, he like rolled his pant leg partly up, and I'm not, his, his, it just had this swollenness around his legs. It just didn't, didn't look right. And then he, he, he stood up during part of the train ride, and I thought, here we go. And he started to make this announcement to everybody on the train. He talked about his physical problems. You know, what, what, what did he need for, to, to, to get his leg taken care of? And, he's, and I'm like, oh, that's why he rolled up his, his, his pant leg to show off these legs that, that looked bad. I mean, you didn't even want to look at them. And I had my kids with me, and I had other family members with me. And I remember my, my brother-in-law was looking at him, and he wanted to do something. And I gave him the whole, like, been there, done that. This guy wants to buy drugs. You don't want to help this guy. You know, don't even worry about it. But I guess what bothers me about that statement, even though I know he could have spent it on alcohol or something else that he shouldn't have, is just how quickly I could close my own heart and miss something beautiful. How quickly I could look away and just look at my children and not look at that guy. My kids probably remember that day. You remember that? Yeah, they're shaking their head. Uh, Kaylee, you don't remember it? Okay. It, it was so easy just to look away and say, boy, that guy's got some issues, and not go there. But I would submit to you 
that when you feel moved to give to somebody, that's God moving on you. That's grace moving on you. And that's not because you're just a swell person. And that's not just because you got a raise this year and you have some extra disposable income that why not give to somebody. That's not what that is. It's grace. It's grace. And so if we take care of somebody's needs here, that's grace. And glory goes to God for doing that amongst us. And whatever you gave to that person, glory to God because He moved in you by His grace to do that. That's not normal. It's not normal. Sure, I know that some people give out of guilt. Some people think they're going to earn their way to heaven. That's a whole separate issue. But, but, but you've got heaven. And you're giving in response to the grace God has given you. He's poured out His riches on you. He saved you from all your sins. And you just can't help but want to bless other people because of the way He's blessed you. The grace was so great in that time that there was a man named Joseph who got nicknamed Barnabas. Don't you think we ought to like have nicknames for each other, you know, like based on our spiritual gifting or like what we do in the church, you know? Um, Barnabas, son of encouragement is what they named him. And he sold property and he laid it at the apostles' feet. I mean, like his property, you know, he'd go, he'd go hunting on that property, right? You know, and he just sold it. Fishing, hunting, I don't know. He just sold it and, and, and put it at the apostles' feet. A beautiful act of grace. And you better believe people were talking about this. People were talking. And somehow this was not a hypocritical act of giving. Remember Jesus warned us, like, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to give and they, they announce it with trumpets and they're, and they're praying on the street corners, you know. Uh, everything's about what they're doing. Apparently for Barnabas, that's just not how he was wired. I mean, maybe nobody but the apostles knew that he brought this money. Well, we don't know, but at some point, he sold the property, brought it to the apostles, and he just laid it at their feet. And then they, the apostles were probably like, we've got to tell this story. People need to know what God is doing here in us, in Barnabas, the grace that he's given us. So they start telling the story. People hear about it. Well, I can sell some stuff. I got some property I can give. I know I can join in this. I can be like Barnabas. And God's just moving. Until chapter 5. And in chapter 5, we see this. Uh, NIV doesn't reflect this very well, but there's the word but there. But a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself and brought the rest and put it where? At the apostles' feet. Where would he get an idea like that? Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and you've kept for yourself some of the money that you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What, what made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to just human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter asked her, Tell me. Is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. 
Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment she fell down on his feet and died, and then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Verse 12, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And certainly that was a miracle. That was something that happened that maybe when we ask for miracles, we never think to ask for something like that. When you read this story, Ananias and Sapphira, what's your gut reaction to that? I mean, Ananias comes in, sells a piece of property. I'm going to be like Barnabas, but I'm going to withhold a little bit for me, but I'm going to say it's the whole amount, lays it at the apostles' feet, and then Peter confronts him, and boom, he dies. Some people like to say he must have had a heart attack on the spot. I don't think so. This is God's judgment. He dies. And then his wife comes in three hours later, and Peter doesn't say, Hey, uh, Sapphira, you know, your, this happened to your husband. He doesn't even go there. She dies after she's confronted and asked, you know, she has a chance to tell the truth, to not play into this hypocrisy, and she dies. What's your gut reaction to that? Does it seem out of step with the story in Acts? Does it seem off in an age of grace? Would you like God to move amongst this church in that kind of a way? However you feel about this story, can you hold that for a second till the end? We'll come back to that feeling. Because I have the feeling. Just hold it. What's going on here? How do we wrestle with the meaning of this? Well, let's call this what it is. This is, this is an incredible act of hypocrisy. Hypo- hypocrisy is, it used to come from the world of, of theater and acting. The great hypocrites are people that could act really well. But later, especially in the time of Christ, it came to be used as like a derogatory term where you, you say you love God, but your hearts are far from Him. You live in two different worlds. You're, you're a hypocrite. You know how many movies my dad ruined for me growing up with this whole hypocrisy talk? Like, we'd we'd rent some sort of action movie, and my dad would tell me about the actor in it and what he was really like in real life, and it would just ruin it. Like, Dad, I don't want to know about his personal life. I don't care about his political views. I just want to see see things explode. You know, that's what I want to see. I'm 14, for goodness sake. I just, I didn't tell my dad that. Of course, now he's listening to this sermon, now he knows, so now it's out, you know. But um, (laughs) how many times has an actor's work been kind of marred by the fact you know what they're like in real life and they're not that noble like they are on the screen? Hypocrisy, then, distorts the beauty of grace. Hypocrisy says... I'm going to do this incredible act of grace, just like Barnabas. I'm going to put it at your feet, but it's not the real deal. It's totally fake. When Barnabas does it, it's beautiful, real, noteworthy. Tell the story, people. Look what he did. When Ananias does it, we tell the story, but it's like, don't do that. That was bad. It distorts the beauty of grace. When you fake it, it distorts the grace of God. 
You ever wonder why people get so, people outside the church get so uh, agitated by the hypocrisy they see in the church? The Christians that live a double life? I mean, if that's you, you're not doing the church any favors here, you know? You're not helping the cause of Christ. You're actually distorting the grace of God by leading a double life. And you're actually slowing the progress of grace. Because when people see you putting on a show, some people conclude, I can put on a show too. And they're going to act like you. Probably when the early church heard this story, they may have thought of Achan in the book of Joshua. Remember Achan? who uh, the, the, the people of Israel are taking over the promised land and they're defeating these cities like Jericho. And God says, I want you to destroy all of the, all of the possessions. And, and, and Achan keeps some of it to himself and buries it. Even though God said destroy all the wealth, he, he kept some. And so then when Israel goes out into battle, they lose battles now because of Achan, because he disobeyed one guy. One guy affects the whole community. And finally, when Joshua confronts it, Achan comes forth, and he and his family perish. People of Israel were moving through the promised land, and then hypocrisy comes up, in one person, and stops millions of people probably at that time. Just stops their progress in its tracks. And doesn't it what make you wonder what holds back the progress of grace in the church? And one of those answers is your hypocrisy and mine. That holds us back. This is a warning for you and me. This is what hypocrisy does. I wrestle with this text. Maybe you thought of this. But it's Peter, the Apostle Peter. Peter knows a thing or two about duplicity, doesn't he? I mean, I don't know that guy. No, I've never met that guy. I don't know who he is. No, no, I swear by the Lord of heaven and earth, I don't know that man. And then the rooster crows. Peter! And he doesn't drop over dead, even though he betrays Jesus three times. That's an act of deception, hypocrisy. What's up with that? And and, and I don't know if Ananias and Sapphira were truly believers. I kind of... I kind of wrestled with that this week, and I guess I just don't know. Maybe we'll talk about that in cross-training. I just don't know. I mean, it sounds like they were part of the church. That's the way the text makes it sound. How did Peter get off so easy? If you can set that aside for a second, too. Let's keep going. But let's say, hypocrisy distorts the beauty of grace and slows It's progress. That's what it does to the church. Number three. Um, At the end of chapter four, I noted this phrase. A great grace was upon them. And that's why they gave. But here in chapter five, it says a great fear 
was upon them. Two times it says that. When Ananias died, it says a great fear was upon the church. When Sapphira dies, it says a great fear seized the church and all who heard about it. Two times. In chapter 4, I see the grace is seizing people. In chapter 5, I see the fear is seizing people. What does that mean? How can it be that God's grace is so strongly upon people and now they're just scared? And I would answer by saying, grace does, should not, it doesn't diminish our fear of the Lord, but enriches it. It enriches it. What, what's the line in Amazing Grace? "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. There's something about grace that tells me I don't deserve eternal life, I deserve hell. That, that grace tells me I deserve hell, but I'm getting eternal life. I'm getting the riches of God's grace. But oh, what I deserve. That's right in front of me too. What I deserve. And so grace teaches me the fear of the Lord, but it also helps me get over being terrified of God. You know what I mean? Have you ever wrestled with that? One time I got into this big Facebook discussion. Those go really well. Every time I get into them, they go so well. And, and the other person always tells me I'm right. It's amazing. Um, but I, but, but I, but I, was, I saw two people, two Christians from, from uh, central Illinois discussing uh, the fear of the Lord. And one of them was like, the church needs the fear of the Lord. The other person was like, no, 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 no. Fear, fear's done with. There, there's no fear of God here. You, know, you're not, you can't be scared of God in any way. And I'm like, I, I just couldn't resist. I had to jump in and just feel like, we, we've got to have fear of the Lord. And you see that here. Fear of the Lord. God could strike you dead for what you've done. I mean, I, I, know, I know for a believer, there is no judgment from God, right? I mean, God's not, there's no wrath for you because of what Jesus did on the cross. God's not going to pay you back for your sins. I mean, hallelujah for that. But do you think His discipline couldn't just strike you dead in a moment and say, yeah, I'm kind of done with you now. I'm bringing you home. You know, He could. He could. Grace doesn't diminish our fear, but it enriches it. It teaches my heart to fear Him. It teaches me that there is a holy God. And if there's one thing our society in general is missing, I think, these days, it's the holiness of God. You don't mess with this God. You stand in awe of Him. You fear Him. And sometimes that should make you tremble. Sometimes it should make you tremble. Because He has the power of your life in His hands. That's the God you serve. But the fact that He has grace on you and loves you means when you enter eternity, you could give Him a hug. Because even though he's strong, he's safe. Safe for those whose his grace is upon. And we gotta, we gotta, we gotta weigh those two things when we read this story. Um, as Peter describes the sin of Ananias and Sapphira, he describes it two ways: you lied to the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not like they got away with it. It's not like the Holy Spirit said, whoops, you got me. Um, He knew. Holy Spirit knew. And it says, you've tested the Spirit of God. I mean, in both of these words, it's like what you did wasn't just to the church, it was to God. 
you should have feared him better. Um, how would, might this text teach us then to give? I want to shift and talk a little bit about giving for a second. Next Sunday, I'm going to have you bring up your gifts and lay them at my feet. <laughs> uh, just kidding. And I'm not going to shower the night before. <laughs> just kidding. I'm kidding. All right. All right. Sorry. Um, how does this text teach us to give? Well, first of all, it teaches us, don't be like the hypocrites. Be like Christ. Be like Christ. Give like Christ. Don't be like the hypocrites. If you know somebody that's putting on a show, don't be like them. If you, if you know someone that brags about their spirituality, don't do that. Don't think that is ever normal. It's not normal. Don't imitate the hypocrites. And they'll say, well, how, how do I know if they're hypocritical or not? Sometimes it's hard to discern. And it does take a heart of discernment. Like, you know, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So clearly there are spiritual mentors and leaders we should be able to look at and say, I want to be like that person. When I'm, when I'm 60, I want to be like him. When I'm 80, I want to be like her. There's people in our life that we should be able to look forward and say, that's somebody that's following Jesus. I just heard uh, last weekend for the No Regrets Conference, one, one of the seminar speakers was uh, Joe Stoll, my president from Moody, you know, when I was there. And just hearing him talk brought me back to, like, his love for Jesus and how, how I felt that transferred to me in some ways. Like, like, I wanted a relationship with Jesus like he had, just the way he would talk about him. I wanted, I wanted that. Some of you know some amazing givers in this church. Like, like you've seen what they've done and they haven't bragged about it or proclaimed it. Maybe we've told the story because we need to hear it for our encouragement, though, like Barnabas. Be like them. Now, how, how do you discern? I brought that up earlier. How do you discern? I think what you do is you, you, you look at the person that you might want to imitate or that, that you want to mentor you or that you want to speak into your life, and you say, are they looking at me or are they looking at Jesus? I mean, I think that's my basic question. If I'm looking at someone older in the faith than me, I'm, I want to know, are they looking at Jesus and following him, or are they looking at me to see if I see what they're doing? You know, Who are they looking at? Because if they're looking at Jesus, then I want to be like them. If they're looking around at everybody else, no. I don't want to be like them. That's a fake. I know that might seem simplistic, but that's just how I kind of t- tend to look at it. Don't imitate the hypocrites. Imitate Christ. Oh, by the way, I do think... In some ways, you know, I don't want to be hard on Peter here who denied Christ. Um, Peter also heard the teaching of Jesus and knew that Jesus was harshest on people who said they were close to God, but their hearts were far from him. That's who Jesus was hardest on. So you can't tell me that Peter was out of line with Christ's own teaching. I'll just put that out there. Number two, um, you ought to decide what to give according to the grace that's been given to you. You have to decide, what am I going to give to the church? What, what am I going to give to people that I see in my life that are in need? That's a conversation between you and God, what you give in this place for offerings. Uh, the verse I'm thinking of, if we can pull that up in Corinthians, uh, Paul says, each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You've got to make up your mind. What is it that God is asking me to give? How do I give 
according to the grace that's been given me. Just think about that. What, God, what have you done for me? Now, what are you asking me to give to your kingdom work? Is it 5%? Is it 10%? Is it 20%? Is it 90%? Some do. What is it? A lot of people use 10% as a great baseline because it's an Old Testament number, a tithe. It's a great number. Some, a lot of people I know do 10, 10, 80, you know? You save 10, you give 10 to the church, you live on 80. That, that's a principle that served a lot of people well. I'll also do a plug again. We're doing a finance, finances class. Uh, it's going to be good. Please consider joining that. You know, that, that'll be not only giving to the church, obviously, but like your total financial uh, outlook. You've got to decide. You've got to ask the Lord, Lord, what am I supposed to give? And then thirdly, I think you better give the full amount that you committed to. And only you and the Lord know that. That's what Peter says to Ananias. When you sold your property, it was at your disposal. You know, if you got a hundred grand for it, you could have given 50 to the church and kept 50. That's okay. But if you come forward and don't give the full amount that you committed to the Lord, that's a problem. The hypocrisy is a problem. You, it was at your disposal. One time I had somebody give to us. <clears throat> it was when we were uh, in the adoption process. And someone gave us a gift. And it was a generous gift. And I remember they gave it to Christy. She came home and we, we thanked God for it. And then the ne- I think it was the next day maybe, the person came back and said, it wasn't the full amount God told me to give you. Here's the other half. And I thought, that's a person that heard from the Lord. You all can hear from the Lord and give accordingly to the church, to people in your life that need help, to missions, to whatever the Lord inspires you to give to. You can hear from Him. But what this text is reminding us is, if you've heard from the Lord and you don't do it, that's a problem. That's a problem. All right, remember that feeling I told you to hold on to about Peter and uh, Ananias and Sapphira dying? I don't like that feeling. When I was uh, first year of college, I came home almost every weekend to see that woman right there. It's crazy for her. Still am. It's only gotten worse. <laughs> it's crazy and love thing. Um, every weekend I went home. Almost. <clears throat> One weekend, I missed my bus back. I always took the Peoria Charter Coach. Bradley University was pickup and, and, and they depart. Missed the bus. So you know what that meant. I had to take the uh, secondary company. I, I, I won't name them, but there's a secondary busing company that's not known to be so wonderful in, in your travels. But I had to take them. They left out of Bloomington. And I got on that bus, sat down, and the, uh, it was about time to de- for departure. The time was approaching quickly. And, and the bus driver was collecting money for the fare. And he was coming towards the back of the bus. 
And I don't know if he looked at his watch and realized, I've got to hit the road. I'm going to be late. You know, I, I don't know what happened. All I know is he turned around, went back to the front of the bus, and off we went. And I'm sitting in the back going, free ride. I mean, this is a free ride. And then you get that thing in you, that conscience, Holy Spirit. No. Like, you, you can't ride this bus for free. Just because he didn't make it to the back, you don't know what was going on. You've got to pay. Free ride. So I didn't, I didn't say anything. We made, we made a number of stops. And uh, we got to a stop that was maybe one or two stops before my destination. Otherwise known as home free. And uh, the bus driver said, some of you uh, didn't pay for your fare, and I'm not really sure who. He announced this over the speaker system in the bus. Could you come up at this time if you haven't paid yet and, and pay your fare? <sighs> no, this is a free ride. So I sat there. The bus pulled out. And then the bus driver got on the intercom a second time. And he said this. Some of you didn't come up and pay me. I don't know who it is. But my God knows. And he will repay. And I thought, this guy's calling down the wrath of God on me. And I was so terrified of the whole thing. I was so shaken up. And I wish I could say that I repented and I did. I was just so scared. I just, I gotta get off this bus as soon as I can. This is just. And, uh,. I read a story like this. Why am I not dead? Do I deserve to die? Yes. Do you deserve to die? Yes. Does that provoke some fear of the Lord? Why, yes, it does. But... Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. I am the hypocrite. I'm the biggest problem in this church. And so are you. But I want a heart that is undivided. I don't want money to have a grip on my soul. And grace can help me get there. Grace can help you get there. Our message is this. Every one of us deserves hell. And if God repaid us according to what we have done, all of these hypocrites in this room would be gone now. And we'd be in a place of suffering and torment forever if we got what we deserved. 
But Christ died to forgive us, and we've held out our hands and received that grace. All we said was, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I give my life to you. I'll take it. And we took it at his expense. Can I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes now? Worship team, would you come up? If this morning you're beginning to understand that you're the hypocrite and you've never received forgiveness before, could I ask you to respond this morning if Jesus is talking to you? Would you pray a prayer like this? Jesus, all of my sins are before you. You've seen them all, and yet here I stand. I'm still alive today by your grace. But I want to receive today that saving grace. I want an undivided heart. I want forgiveness of my sins. Oh, I'm so sorry for them. I'm ashamed of them. Will you forgive me? And give me that new life. Would you help me lead a life with an undivided heart focused on you? In Jesus' name. If you 